the Speak Life podcast, sharing Jesus in everyday life. In his royal wedding sermon, Michael Curry said some brilliant things and he left out some vital things. To show you both, I thought I'd re-preach his sermon using mostly his words, but also inserting what I think would need to be said if we're going to call this a gospel sermon. I can't promise his delivery, but I can promise that I'll stick to six minutes. Are you ready? Here we go. And now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. From the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And from the New Testament, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's power in love. Don't underestimate it. Don't over-sentimentalize it. There's power in love. If you don't believe me, think about a time when you first fell in love. The whole world seemed to center around you and your beloved. Just look at today. Two young people fell in love, and we all showed up. Why? The reason has to do with the source. We were made by a power of love, and our lives are meant to be lived in that love. Ultimately, the source of love is God himself, the source of all our own lives, a father who loves his son in the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's why Solomon says, love is the very flame of the Lord. When love showed up in the flesh, he was asked by a lawyer to sum up the essence of all the holy teachings that came before. Jesus reached back into the Hebrew scriptures to Deuteronomy and Leviticus and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, everything that God has been trying to tell the world is, love God and love your neighbors. And when love came in person, he began the most revolutionary movement in human history, all grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world. It's a love that moved the old slaves in America's antebellum south to sing, There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And one of the stanzas actually explains why. They said, if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the balm in Gilead. This way of love. It is the way of life. They got it. He died to save us all. You see, we need saving from our lovelessness and our unloveliness. Megan and Harriet, you'll find it easy to love each other today, dressed up in finest, looking like a fairy tale made flesh. But there will come days when it will be hard to love, when your hearts will be revealed to be loveless, dark, and broken. On a day like today, it's hard to believe it, but there will come times when you will fight, and it'll feel like hell. Because twisted love, perverted love, corrupted love, that is hell. It's the kind of hell that tears apart marriages and families and nations and souls. And it needs to be quenched, or it will continue to burn. That's hell. What does it take to quench those flames? Well, you'll know if you've ever been in a lover's quarrel. One of you, at least one of you, needs to swallow your pride, to not lash back, to absorb the fire and not dish it out, to begin again in forgiving love. I pray for that kind of love to be present in your marriage. But I warn you, everyone who's ever tried it knows it's excruciating. It's a sacrifice. 
But that's what it takes to turn hell into heaven. It takes an excruciating act of forgiving love. And our New Testament passage says that on a cosmic scale, that's what God has done for us. This is love, it says, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. On the cross, Jesus was the lover who swallowed His pride. He was in the right, but He didn't claim His rights. We were in the wrong, but He didn't pay back. He absorbed the hell and didn't dish it out. That's why Jesus died. It was a sacrifice, the sacrifice of forgiving love. And you know, he didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his love for us, his life for us. And so our New Testament passage goes on. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to receive the forgiving love of God offered in Jesus and pass it on to a world which desperately needs the redeeming power of love. It's the love that comes from God, the love offered at the cross of Jesus, the love that is shared with a loveless and unlovely world. This reconciling, redeeming love that begins in God will transform your soul, transform your marriage, transform your world. Friends, we all want to believe in love. And when we look to this royal wedding, it almost makes us believe the fairy tale is true, doesn't it? I mean, almost. We could... We could almost forget the darkness of the world and the darkness of our hearts and believe again, couldn't we? Well, I'm here to tell you the fairy tale is true. Love is real, more real than you know. There is a prince of heaven who has loved us, fought to the death for us, forgiven our lovelessness, and now he offers the power to live in love. This is the power on which to found every marriage, the power to redeem the world. Its source is God and his arms are open today. Megan, Harry, God love you, God bless you, and may we all find rest in those arms of almighty love. That's what I'd say, using mainly Michael Curry words where I was holding on to the cup and then filling in the blanks as I see them. Two thoughts on this exercise. Some of the words that Curry did say were extraordinary, especially when people were just expecting a bishop to shuffle on and shuffle off, having mouthed a few platitudes. Curry did not do that, and he gripped a global audience with some glorious truths. When Christians rejoice to hear those truths, we can understand it, and we should assume that it is their love for Jesus that drives them. At the same time, there were other words Curry would need to say if this was going to be a gospel sermon, a sermon proclaiming Christ given for sinners. In the live cast, we will discuss the overlapping contexts of Curry's sermon. It is a church service, and it is a civic ceremony, and it is a global television event. So the rules and expectations are not straightforward. But if what we were expecting was a, a, law, a law and gospel proclamation, then we did not get that last Saturday. The sermon began extremely biblically and theologically and Christ-centeredly, but it did then fly off largely untethered and could be confused at points with a Beatles-like ode to love, love, love. So when Christians become deeply concerned that the second half of Curry's sermon will be the take-home message and that a rhapsody on love is being understood as the gospel, we can understand that and we, could we can assume that for those Christians, it is their love of Jesus that drives them. Curry's sermon has been and gone, but the words of 1 John remain. Let love, let the love of Jesus drive us. Dear friends, let's love one another for love comes from God. It's May 29th this week, and you're watching the Livecast. Welcome to the show. 
Right, so we're on. What were we even talking about? What were we camping, even talking about? Camping talking about... is bad, okay. according to you. I like camping. Camping's fine. So I was just saying that I've come back from uh, the Catalyst Festival, yep. where uh, I was preaching and doing a seminar and speaking to some youth, and Emma was doing a seminar as well, mm-hmm. and uh, that was um, that was great, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, it was very much a camping holiday. And you're not down with it. I'm not down with camping, and I don't I don't know who would be down with camping it's just fun isn't it is it yeah okay you've had some time to now think of a single (laughs) benefit to camping have you come up with one Uh, communing with the great outdoors (laughs) Uh, (laughs) with Gaia with Mother Earth herself (laughs) what I get Abraham. Just, Abraham did it, isn't it? Right? So it's good because, like, so so one thing, like, when I went to New Wine, yeah. like, um, interestingly, what I would say most people at New Wine are searching for a controversial comment of the day coming. Um, people at New Wine, mo- majority of people, the thing they're not they're seeking the most is not God. Oh, it is somewhere to plug their phone in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was amazed by how many people were just like, I can't survive without my phone. Whereas, yeah. you know, we've got one of those battery pack things. Yes. So, like, I put my phone on, like, battery saver. Yeah. And just check it, like, every now and again. But, like, I don't do... I've got no reason to be on Facebook or anything like that. And you're just like, ah, oh, this is quite nice, actually. Yeah. Cut off from, yeah. you know, all those distractions. Right. Whereas some people are just like, we can't Snapchat each other. What are we yeah. going to do? Admittedly, they were teenagers, but some of the yes. adults were very like, yes. got to get my phone charged and, you know. You're taking this in an interesting direction. <laughs> you know, what are the benefits of camping? Well, it's not social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says on social media. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, you yeah, know. Getting it, away from it all. Yeah. Getting unplugging. away from it all. Yeah. Yeah. In unplugging many senses, a little unplugging. bit. Yeah. 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 And also, I mean, like, so when you make, like, do you like toast? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You just think toast, <laughs> toast's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Toast's all right. Toast. Let me tell you, toast tastes 10 times better when you've had to make it under that little grill. Wow. Yes. Because not only I think does it taste better under a proper grill anyway. Yes. But there's a sense of satisfaction that you've achieved. That. Same with making a cup of tea. You, you just want to throw your toaster out, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's how good it As is. As we have done. <laughs> yes. yes. We've got rid of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I am just worried that our three-year-old will enjoy camping too much, so... <laughs> it is a bit expensive, though, camping. Mm. Like, the initial outlay of, like, getting, what, getting, getting a, tent. a tent and yeah. all the gubbins. Yeah. But some people, like, or t- there was a guy last year from our church who had, um, I kid you not, a gas oven right. that he brought with him. Like, yeah. So, you know, not like just a little hob. No. Not like the hob, hob but an oven. Actually, With oven hobs on the top. Put, yeah, yeah. Could, they did pizzas. Wow. Like, <laughs> you just think... Man, yeah, that's what happens when you've got more money than glamping. <laughs> that's what we need. We need a bit of glamping. Ben Bissett says, "Try camping with four kids." No thanks, Ben. <laughs> no thank you. I'm always reminded of uh, Jim Gaffigan's line. Like he's uh, he's a comedian in the states, and he was uh, he's got five kids, and he was asked like, "What's it like going from four to five? Like like he says, he says, imagine that you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. That's <laughs> 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 like. Yep. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And Biddy says, you were great talking last night. Thank you, Biddy. Yeah, I was... Uh, so, yeah, your wall... So, you, your stuff from Catalyst is actually on, on our page somewhere, isn't it? It's on the Speak Life page. If you haven't uh, liked the Speak Life page, what are you doing with yourself? Take a good look in the mirror. Question your priorities. And um, the Speak Life page will have that link to, um, yeah, my sermon on Galatians chapter 4. 
uh, last night. And, uh, and also, I, I mean, so one of the highlights for me was I, I met a couple of different people from different churches um, in the Catalyst Network, and I've preached in those different churches before, and two different people from two different churches said, um, hey, I brought a friend to a guest event that you spoke at, and they've been kind of coming to church ever since, and now, like, one of them's not just become a Christian, but they're, they're now going out on the streets, like, literally, like, within a matter of months. Wow. They're out there sharing, sharing the good news of Jesus. Another guy said that uh, a work colleague came along to a Christian, uh, a Christmas carols thing, and, and they, um, are now going on with the Lord. And then I was having a coffee with somebody and I'd just done a seminar on how can a good God allow a bad world, yep. which is something that we've done quite a lot of and uh, you can check out on uh, the Speak Life page our thorny questions videos and I did a lot of that material and she just came up to me and said, um, sorry to interrupt, my name's Jenny, I came to this conference not as a Christian mm. and my big issue was how can a good God allow a bad world and you just took away any like objection I could possibly have. I gave my life to, to Christ last night and I'm a one day old Christian. Wow. So there you go. How fun is that? It's like this preaching thing actually works. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. And it, it is interesting because like my, because I'm always tempted to say, oh, look, apologetics is, just, it, you know, it, it has its place like way over in a corner somewhere. Yeah. Um, but she she's kind of the, um, the the real test case that, that apologists love in in terms of the, people have a series of objections and you need to help them to get over those hurdles. And, and once you've do, removed the objections, then they go. Lo and, and behold, and of course we all know it's more complicated than that, including yeah, the yeah. apologists. But for her, mm. it's pretty much her journey. Yeah, I guess so, that's what you'd say. What she did say. So. Yeah. So praise God. Praise yeah, God brilliant. for Jenny and uh, and got to pray with another you know couple last night who were very much on the cusp and and you know prayed with them for for jesus to reveal himself to them and and there was lots of prayer going on you know in a room that size mm. is, you know yeah thousands so you can check out the the sermon there on uh, on our speak life page yeah brilliant what have you been up to paul well over the bank holiday yeah um, nothing of oh, so well, nothing of real note. I mean, well, yesterday I had a very nice day yesterday with lots of friends. Mm -hmm. We just had a barbecue and people around, and there were kids everywhere and paddling pools and tortoise was on the loose and all kinds of things. Tortoise um, was on the loose. Yeah, we my my parents in law have um a tortoise that we're looking after while they're away. Wow. Um, but uh, is that a needy creature? Not really. No, they're a good creature. I recommend a tortoise as, really? a, as a pet. So, but really? you, the problem is you've got to remember. There's a tortoise. Like, <laughs> it's easy to yeah yeah because yeah. I mean so I did hear I think I think it was my brother-in-law who had some friends I think it was him who who said that they 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 were looking through their parents' attic right and they found a tortoise shell and when they said to their mum and dad we found this in the attic mum and dad said oh yeah we did have a tortoise. <laughs> Just so you know, when you put them in hibernation for like half a year, is it you just get slips yeah. from your mind, doesn't it? So you think, oh man, we've been up there for a while, and you think, what a way to go. But, <laughs> um, but you know, the how many kids do we have again? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this tortoise, Carmen, is her name. Carmen, Carmen the tortoise. She's yeah. uh, they're quite quick actually. But anyway, they're low they? maintenance. Yeah, don't yeah. do a lot. But yeah, yeah. I d you know that was pretty much what I did. Okay. Yesterday, do the least. kids love like them? Are they, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very excited about yeah. the tortoise and picking up the tortoise and right. whatnot. So, do you think other animals would play well with the tortoise? Like, maybe not. I don't really know. I've not really seen much tortoise kind of and other animal interaction. Yeah. Anyway, really, I'm not sure how they interact in the wild. I guess I've I've been put off having a tortoise because I had a good friend at school and um, 
and he was just in pieces one day because his mother had pierced the tortoise with a high heel no. all the way through. No. And Man, and these yeah. are like tortoise. Ho- are there any tortoises listening? This are is like a tortoise horror story, do, isn't it? Today? Does anyone <laughs> online have a tortoise horror story <laughs> that you'd like to share with us? Um, yeah. No, but yeah. So I mean, it wasn't an event for. Oh, I preached actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that. Yeah, I preached on I Friday night. Heralded the voice of the living Christ. I have a very short memory. This is why I can't keep the tortoise because I would forget. Yes. You know, so yes. we just look after it. I preached on Friday night on um, on Philippians two, okay, five to eleven. Oh wow! Um, and cause that's was, a Carmen as well. That's it's Carmen Christian. It's, uh, the Carmen means means him. So you called your tortoise him, and then you preached on the Carmen Christi. Anyway, that's right. Great how segue. Did, Glenn. How did you know? Yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we're part of a series on the Trinity, actually. We're doing it um. at our cafe church on Friday night, and so this was more looking at the sun. Actually, I, <laughs> I think I redid... I used something I'd used in an assembly at a okay. secondary school a few years ago. Not when I say I reused it, I rejigged it quite a bit. Um, but uh, I, I thought initially about... I used the, the scenes from um, The Avengers Assemble with Loki yes. as the god who comes to bring you the right. gift of freedom. He comes to free you from freedom. And you kneel before me, you crave subjugation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, what is God like? Um, What is the nature of God? And this is Josh Whedon's view of God. You know, the humanist, here he is. And this, you know, God is this, who's the bad guy here? God comes to earth to subjugate and to oppress um, and to hold on to power, to be the power God. Right. Um, And uh, then we talked about, you know, well, actually, what's the nature of God? It's a self-giving sacrifice, stepping down, not clinging to power. Right. Giving of self um, for the sake of others. Um, And actually, at the end, talking about even when Jesus is exalted to the highest place, even then he doesn't cling to power like some kind of obsessed ruler. Because at the end of Revelation, or not end of Revelation, in Revelation, you have... Jesus inviting us onto the throne with him, not wow. saying, get off the throne, I'm in charge. Wow. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So that and tortoises. That yeah, was my yeah. weekend. Those yeah. are your two comments. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, was it recorded? Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah. I mean, it was, but we had a few technical issues. It's not like, <laughs> really? not like us to have technical really? issues, is it? Like, <laughs> you shot me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think the guy came up to me afterwards and said... Um, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do something. He said, I've got all of it somewhere, the recording bits. He said, but at the moment, it jumps from the scene about Loki, literally the, the recording of that, to you just coming in going, lording it over us, like that. And he's like, probably not, like, just need yeah. some context. So, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No, I'd like to hear that. I'd like to hear that. And we might, we might get into these issues as uh, we speak, especially about a kind of a theology of the cross and uh, what Ireland's referendum uh, kind of means. Uh, we might get back to those Philippians 2 themes uh, mm-hmm. in a minute. But um, I started with uh, a little monologue on the wedding sermon. And if you haven't checked out uh, what I said last week, um, that again is in the comments section of this uh, live video on Facebook. You can check out what I said last week. And this week, I guess I, I, I tried something um, a bit different, which was just to put flesh on the bones of... Um, what would it look like to, to preach a sermon that included the stuff that we like? And by we, I kind of mean gospel-loving, you could use the word evangelical, yep. orthodox Christians. What would, it, what would it look like to have Michael Curry's words and the words that we love 
Um, and so I had a go at that. And uh, maybe I'm now opening myself up to the charge that, you know, <laughs> my own words are, you know, inadequate and, you know, should be rejected. But it seems to me on this on this issue, there's, there's, there's kind of red, amber and green responses to Michael Curry's sermon. And I understand, I understand all of them. Like, I understand the red light response, which is people could definitely get the wrong idea from Michael Curry's sermon. I don't, I personally don't think he preached heresy. I don't. I'm only going by the 13 minutes that he preached, but just looking at those 13 minutes, I don't think he preached heresy. And if he did, and if you could Mm. convince me that he did, I'd denounce it. I would, I promise. But I don't think in those 13 minutes he preached heresy. Um, But I understand that people, people can think that you could get the wrong idea from that. And if people go away thinking that the gospel is just a Beatles like love, 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 like if that is what people now assume the gospel is because of his sermon, I understand your red light and... I think it's coming from a good place, right? And so, and I, you know, it doesn't make anybody a priggish Pharisee if they want to give the red light to Michael Curry's sermon. I I assume that it's coming from a place of deep love for Jesus. So, yay, that. And then there's, there's, there's the green light response, and the green light response is, hey, two billion people, and he... And he heralded Jesus, so let's just rejoice. And 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 so you did get people who were just saying, "Well, that's the gospel, and if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is." Um, and I think last week I was trying to give an amber response. I think it was an amber response because I, I I you know flagged up several warnings, like I don't think he should have been there. I said that three times in in my little seven minute talk, three times, beginning, middle, and end. I said he shouldn't have been there, and. Be- you know, because of his stance on marriage, because of TEC, the the Episcopal Church, and its sanctions by the Anglican Communion about marriage, and because of the way TEC has handled Bible beloving Bible loving brothers and sisters across the pond, um, yeah. So I I certainly do not give a free pass to any of this, and I don't think I don't think the sermon words themselves um, ought to be called the gospel, pure and simple. So I don't think I'm green. I don't think I'm red. I think I am kind of amber. Mm. And as amber, I think I kind of, you know, got likes from red and green people and and got dislikes from red and green people. Um, Yeah, I think it was pretty... In terms of people's response, there was a mixture. mm. But, I mean, Mm. I think a lot of people did see it as as relatively balanced. Mm. Um, Mm. I think think it was. You know, I think that's the case, isn't it? Um, And, like, one thing I want to... I do want to say is that the red light people are right that it is important to define what the gospel is and isn't. It, I think it's that's a slightly different argument from whether this particular event was the event for preaching law and gospel in its fullest sense. Mm. I think that should be a separate argument, but if if this sermon is an occasion for us to going back to basics and thinking, what is the gospel, um, then let's do that. Let's do that with grace and love, and, and let's figure out what the gospel is. Um, and I think it was not the gospel. I think it was the law. Um, to use a, a Lutheran and Reformed kind of categorization, um, I don't think it was anti-gospel. I just think it was the law. I think it was love your neighbor. This love comes from God. Now let's love your neighbor. And, you know, mm. um, so I, I think it was just the law and not the gospel. Um, but therefore, I think therefore the challenge is not just for Michael Curry 
to now go on ahead and preach law and gospel. I think the challenge is for everybody. And I think our own tribe, and I identify as evangelical in our own tribe, I think we need to go further than just the law. And we need to go further than just holding to correct doctrines. Because whatever the gospel is, or whatever proclaiming the gospel is, proclaiming the gospel is not just holding to and articulating correct doctrines. Proclaiming the gospel is offering Christ to sinners. And certainly, I, I, I don't think Michael Curry in the fullest sense did that, certainly. But um, but if if he should have, good, then we should as well. Um, and and maybe maybe there's there's a few fingers pointing back at us in terms of do we preach law and gospel and offer Christ in these different settings? Um, and then, you know, and, and then one other thing I think it's worth saying is, is the question of the context of this sermon. Like, is it a church service? Yes. Is it a civic ceremony? Yes. Is it a, a global televisual event watched by billions? Yes. And those overlapping contexts are complicated and it's not obvious. I don't think it's, I don't think it's entirely obvious what the rules are for someone who is um, preaching to billions on TV as well as in a chapel to some royals. Yeah. Know? And clearly, Michael Curry did not take it as an opportunity to preach to people in the chapel. If he did, <laughs> if, if his job was to preach to the royals, you know, yeah, the, look, yeah. the looks on some of their faces showed that he might have missed his target, right? Yep. And if he was preaching to the couple, he barely mentioned the couple, Yeah. right? Clearly, he was taking this as an opportunity with a global audience, I think. And I just want, I just think, you know, for myself as, as a preacher, I'm the, I, I get, you know, brought in by churches and they will put on an event for me to speak at. And, and quite often, you know, they will say, you know, evangelicals of impeccable pedigree have said to me, Glenn, don't go full on for the gospel. Just, just, you know, rein it in. And I, and usually I don't listen to them. And usually I just <laughs> preach the gospel, right? I'm that kind of guy. Red light people, hear me. I'm that kind of guy. You invite me to your church and you say, oh, it's more of an amber event and don't, don't go fully for the gospel. I go green light on those. Okay. So I don't, you know, quit the, quit the hate, man. You know, I, I do take those opportunities and preach the gospel, but I've, I've had evangelicals of impeccable pedigree telling me, look, rain it in Glenn because it's not that kind of event. Now, if that is, a, a, you know, if that's an okay thing to do, um, then I think we need to think again about the context in which Michael Curry was preaching. Because, yeah, it's a church service, but, yeah, it's also a civic ceremony in which a bishop is just meant to shuffle on and shuffle off and mouth some platitudes. Um, and it's a global televisual event. Um, and I just don't think the rules are that obvious for what he was meant to do. As you'll see at the top of the show, if I had that opportunity, I would pray for the courage to say those six minutes the way that I said those six minutes. And that's what I think would most honor Jesus in that setting, even though it might not be as popular as Michael Curry's sermon. That's personally what I think. But I, if, if there are evangelicals who are listening into Michael Curry's sermon and they go, hey, you know, Christ is preached and I rejoice, Philippians 1 verse 18, um, you know, I, I see their heart and I honor them. I honor your heart, red light Christians, and I honor your heart, green light Christians. How we just get along? You know? <laughs> Where's the love? Well, I think you're right there, aren't you? About it, it, there is a context. There is a context question. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a very different thing to, uh, you know, it, the, the platform he was on 
the occasion he was at was not a it's not a Billy Graham right you know crusade in yeah. the stadium type thing right um, and we were joking earlier about how strange it would have been you know how amusing it would have been if he'd said like and if anyone wants to give their life to the Lord to you know to stand up in this room like you know yeah, every yeah. head bow yeah yeah come to every the front, eye closed like, <laughs> just raise your hand if you want to receive Christ I, I see you your majesty I see you I see you your grace thank you thank you <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know, <laughs> yeah, we've got a couple of little books we're going to give you to tell yeah. you about Jesus. It, yeah. You know, that that would not have been yeah. the, the right the time con- and place. The, the time and the place for it, undoubtedly. And, you know, we talked earlier about, um, you know, you, you would you would preach in a different way to your context, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely would. I could t- I'd take the same passage. And if I knew I was preaching to my Sunday morning congregation, yeah. I think it's predominantly predominantly christians it's right. a church right. crowd right um i would preach the passage in a different way than i would with uh, an evangelistic event or yeah. yeah or whatever um you know you'd still have yeah. the same stuff but yeah there's a context so like when i did assemblies in secondary schools right you know right you've got to you know you're in a sense you're playing your cards yeah. very carefully as well without wanting to you don't want to water anything down no um, and pull you, you don't want to pull your punches but you want to do it in a way that means you'll be invited back and <laughs> yeah 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 um, we all know about that we all know that there's ways of contextualizing our, our message and you know I've, I've taken many weddings and I've taken weddings where I know the couple and I know that they are Christian and I've taken couples when I don't really know the couple and they're not Christians mm. and you preach a little bit differently, but you really do, you know, and, and you know, if they, if they're known to you as a couple and if they want you to preach the gospel in a certain way, you say, and I often take advantage of that. And I, I I say, you know, Bill and Brenda want you to know that this is just a picture of the ultimate love. Theirs is not the ultimate love. They want you to know that they've told me to tell you, you know, and so you can say that with a lot more freedom Mm. that, you know, if you're, if, if you're, don't know the couple and Michael Curry did not know the couple and if you know if you're flown in from across an ocean um, you know there, there are there are different contexts and once again I, I think politically it was it was the the wrong move to bring him into that situation all of that but I just you know I just think actually you know going through his words in order to to kind of re-preach his sermon um, it, it really struck me what a sermon of two halves it was you know yeah and the first, the first half, I don't think there would be any complaints from evangelicals if he sat down after, after six minutes, mm. which was what he was meant to do, six minutes. And we would all say, well, he didn't have time to go into, you know, penal substitutionary atonement or whatever, you know. Um, but those first six minutes, my goodness, he, you know, he, he goes from this prayer in the triune name of God's scripture, um, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor, then the balm of Gilead's mm, and yeah. like, and literally, yeah. th- and by that stage, it was about six minutes. And if he, if he'd sat down, we would just be like, wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I think the, the problem was the second half just sort of launched off. And, and rhetorically, that, that probably is what gripped people and, and made people sit up and listen. But that ri- rhetorical flourish was, was then not so tethered to the stuff that he said in the first half. And in the first half, he insists a number of times that the source of love is God. Um, but then it gets untethered. And then, you know, you could uncharitably think that he is just rhapsodizing about love itself. Mm. And then if people get the impression that that's the gospel, 
I hear you. That's a problem. But you know, maybe stick to time, preachers. Maybe that's the <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the lesson. Maybe say yeah, yeah. Anyway, have we said enough? <laughs> have we said more than enough? Oh, Who knows? No. Let's just can we love we can we love each other? I, you know, I don't I don't think this is an occasion for splitting among Christians who love the gospel. I think there are good gospel reasons for being a red light person, and I think there are good gospel reasons for being a green light person. Yeah. Um. So there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um. Other things to comment on in the news. Um. <laughs> Biddy has said the faces of the church persons behind him exclamation mark I know <laughs> those faces though that's uh, what makes me love it all the more though is yeah. that subversive streak yeah. in me that yeah, can see, yeah. the, see the squirming and I just think ah oh. Princess Beatrice like <laughs> is he allowed to say this <laughs> who authorised this <laughs> yeah yeah Elton John oh yeah, yeah. brilliant and Victoria Beckham but you know. Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I don't think I've seen no, her. She didn't look very impressed, but <laughs> I think that might just be what she always looks like. And but. yeah, and David Beckham was just sniggering through the whole thing, which is I just couldn't tell whether he liked it. though, David Beckham because he, he, yeah. he kind of smiling away, but whether he was like, yeah, yeah, or whether yeah. it was genuinely like oh, like yeah, you just don't know what's going on, do you? you never know. In a footballer's mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing. Uh, so, have you seen this in the news? Uh, there was this story about um, a boy who was hanging. Off a balcony in Paris yeah. on like the fourth, fifth story. A toddler. A toddler. Kind of, yeah, very young. Yeah, very young. And for some reason, the people who were like on that level couldn't. Like, yeah, it was a bit un- a bit unusual, wasn't that? Bringing that up. part was strange. But this this guy, he's from Mali, a migrant to uh, France. Scales the wall like a Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. Up he goes and saves the toddler. And everyone in France has gone nuts for this guy. And like he's got a job as a a fireman fireman or something. Yeah, he's being made a French citizen or something as well, (laughs) isn't he? Like, do you know? Do you know how to put out a fire? No, but (laughs) 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 right. I would hope that the they're giving some training. They have hopefully, a bit, yeah, I hope a bit so. Of training. I hope so. Yeah. Their policies are a bit more so rigorous you can, than as that. he scales the the thing with his hose in his hand. It's like no, you can use the ladder. It's, like, it's, like, <laughs> it's just like yeah, I'm I'm sure there is overlap between the skills yeah. of someone who can climb and someone who can put out fires. But it's like someone's really good at a Rubik's cube. <laughs> Make that man a police officer. And it's like okay, um, but he was also like. Um, sort of adopted as a citizen yeah, of yeah. France, wasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, it was great. So, great story. And then and then David Lammy, MP, Labour MP. Um, he's a Labour MP, isn't he? Surely. Yes. I think he yes, is. Yes, Labour yeah, MP for Tottenham. I think he's Labour. And, uh, oh yeah, he's definitely Labour. He's, yeah, he's an MP. And his tweet, um, should we have it up on the screen? Yeah, hopefully said, it's going to um, Here we go. This is a wonderful story, but I don't think that migrants should have to behave like superheroes before they are treated like human beings. Being a human being should be the only prerequisite to being treated like a human being. And that applies in the UK just as much as, as in France, just as much as in the womb. Um, Oof. Oh, there. That's, there's, there's my mic drop. Okay. So, makes a brilliant point here. You know, like, you shouldn't have to climb up and be a superhero in order to be treated like a human being. Yep. Agreed. Let's all agree that. And now, let's turn our attention to Ireland and the referendum. Um, and it seems to me that, that that's the kind of the, the, the headline under which we should see all other things. That, that really, 
if you want to call it the pro-life position, let's call it the pro-life position. The pro-life position is, in the words of David Lammy, no one should have to behave like a superhero before they are treated like a human being. Being a human being should be the only prerequisite to being treated like a human being. And that applies just as much in the womb as it does outside of it. It's exactly the logic. Um, and I think what this David Lammy tweet does is it really, it really shows that I think the pro-choice argument, if you want to call it that, really is underlying it. You need to climb up to a certain level before you will be treated to the same levels of hospitality and humanity that the rest of us are. You need to have a certain level of consciousness. You need to be in a certain position before we will afford to you um, all the, 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 the rights and uh, all, all the hospitality that we should offer to a human being. Mm. So I often find that as, a, as, as an interesting way in and an interesting parallel in discussions about abortion because on the whole, people who tend to be pro-choice also tend to be pro-migration, pro-immigration, right? And I just want to say, okay, let's let's use that instinct that you have. Someone should not be asked to jump through 17 hoops before you afford them hospitality. Um, in the same way, you know, let's let's not let our brothers and sisters in the womb have to jump through all these hoops before we afford them the right to life. I think that's that is the basic argument. Um, mm. But on Friday, there was the referendum, and um, uh, it was about repealing, uh, or, or at least amending, sorry, uh, the Eighth Amendment, uh, amendment of the Irish Constitution. Um, the Eighth Amendment in the Irish Constitution says, The state acknowledges the right to life of the unborn, and with due regard to the equal right to life of the mother, guarantees in its laws to respect and as far as practicable by its laws to defend and vindicate that right. So it seems to me that that is a pretty plain statement that when we're talking about um, abortion, we're talking about two lives and not one. We're not just talking about one person's autonomous choice. Mm. Um, we're, we're talking about two people. And... In terms of uh, repealing uh, the Eighth Amendment or, or, or amending that amendment, um, what was voted yes to um, uh, on Friday by a, a ratio of two to one, people uh, wanted to add, Irish people wanted to add this um, amendment, which is provision may be made by law for the regulation of termination of pregnancies. Um, and so now, now the door is open to legislation um, that allows for uh, the termination of pregnant pregnancies without having to pass it through the filter of there are two lives here. Um, so it seems to me at that point, to go back to the, the, the migration example, that it, it seems at that point that we've built a wall and we've made the fetus pay for it, right? We've built a wall and we've made the unborn pay. Um, and they, they have got to get over a hurdle in order to be afforded that, that right. Um, so legislation is not the way I think to, to, you know, to bring the kingdom. It's absolutely not the way to bring the kingdom. And, um, and I, I really respect, 
um, those kind of pro-life ministries and charities that, that say we don't want to make abortion illegal so much as to make it unthinkable. Hmm. I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's, it's a battle for hearts and minds. It's not a battle for the statute books. But I guess the, the loss of this battle in Ireland means like we need to look at ourselves as Christians and say, how is it that we, how is it that we can tell the story of Jesus again that, that makes people, makes people wake up to the beauty of life and the beauty of the little people? You know, mm. it seems like such a triumph of authority and power and individuality and choice over the little guy. And it just seems to me that so many of the people who support the pro pro-choice cause, um, they also believe in, in not harming the little guy and championing the little guy. How is it? How do we, I don't know, how do we make people love the little guy and see that it's a cause for, for championing life and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I, I wish I, wish I knew. Yeah. Um, it, it just, yeah, it's a very hard thing to understand, I think, at least from my perspective. You know, that as I read that initial Eighth Amendment, I think, wow, that's a really affirming and good thing. You know, it seems a very, to me, that seems a very kind of good, almost a compromise between two things. You have a right. Right. This child has a right. There are two yeah. people involved here. Yeah. And they both have rights, and there needs to be a way for this to work together. And 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 you know, to to step away from that seems a strange thing. You know, a very a very dark thing, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Um, it's. It yeah. It it is difficult, and and you know we need to remember that you know one in three women in the UK at least will have had. An abortion and mm. and it's a personal issue and it's um and i totally accept that no woman takes that decision lightly mm. and i totally accept that no one woman takes that and that there are all sorts of complicated factors at play um but i just I, what i struggle to see is when we see people cheering like really cheering um, for this and you know there, there have been 8.8 .8 million yeah. abortions in this country since 1967 8.8 .8 million and it's even even if you're on that side and you win that debate it's always a tragedy isn't it you know it's always you'd, you'd hope so you'd yeah. hope that that would be the view and that's why you know to see people standing their arms in the air yeah, feels straight. I mean, because it, it really. I mean, it, ultimately, it just comes back. It comes down to the simple thing, isn't it? You you either think there is a life, right? It is a life, or it's not. That right. is the that is right. ultimately at the root of it, right? And if you think it's a life, then yeah, you know, like why would you know, like like why would you feel that that was? You wouldn't want to rejoice in it, you know. Yeah. If you if you lost, you know, if you had an abortion. Yes. Or you'd lost a child, you know, in the womb. Um, I don't think you'd want to rejoice. Like, like, yes, this yeah. is a yeah. empowering thing, you know. Because it's meant to be, you know, and, and the catchphrase is always safe, legal and rare. So on the pro-choice pro case, you know, 
we we think that abortions should be safe, legal, and rare. Yeah. Um, but the rare thing just it's not. Is no, it? No. In the UK, five hundred a day. That's mm. not rare. Five hundred a day is not rare. Eight point eight million. And I think I've always thought, you know, I say always thought. I mean, I've 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 wondered sometimes, you know, if I was in a position where I actually had power to do something, you know, uh, uh, to make legislation. Yeah. Would I just say no abortions? Mm. Well, and and I think as a Christian, I, I even I find that a difficult one mm-hmm. because the reality is people would go and get backstreet abortions and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it strikes me that there are there are cases of there are medical cases aren't there where mm-hmm. it's very much something has terribly gone terribly wrong here sure. and mum's gonna die right unless we do something and there are cases for stepping in right. um and i think we need to weigh those but i'm not sure again that those are the majority of no. cases that actually for a lot of people it's like i just didn't i didn't want it at that stage for right. whatever reason right and and i think and I, and again, I mean, I'm not well versed in the abortion debate, but stuff I've heard from a lot of, you know, I've heard people say figures talking about it, saying the issue with a lot of arguments you make about why abortion is okay, you could equally apply that to a grown adult, right? You know, something happened, you know, right? I didn't feel I was, you know, just take a really simple one like they couldn't afford to have a child. Well, people lose their jobs mm-hmm. when they've got children, yeah, you know, and it doesn't mean well, well now I can get rid of my child, you right. know. But equally, like you say, I don't want to. I would never condemn anyone that's had an abortion. You know, I wouldn't want to be like you are a terrible person or anything. I th- I'd want to be, lo- I'd want to love that person. But it, I think it's a deeply heartbreaking thing. Yeah. To hear that someone is, yeah, has that has happened. You know. Um, yeah. I w- you know, I would, I guess, I would think that, and I d- do think that that such a person has been caught up in a in, in an evil that is bigger than them, yeah. and swept along in it, um, and that the evil that is bigger than that individual case really is evil um yeah you know I, I do think it is and it all gets caught up in this identity thing again like oh you're a man so you don't get to mm. have a say in it you know you that. don't have control over what i do in my body maybe right but then surely you could just flip that and say well you know mm. you're not a baby you don't get a you don't get the say in right well that, you know so it just feels like a a, a very bad place to be in um, yeah yeah yeah. And so, so then how do we, how do we talk about it with, um, with our friends who don't understand where we're coming from and who think that surely the side of progress is, you know, it's sweeping Europe and, and you, this last stronghold, the, you know, the south of Ireland, it's been swept away and surely Northern Ireland is next. And then, you know, the sweep of progress. How, how do we have conversations where we say, uh, no, this is not progress. And, and, you know, I mean, one, one thing I did is, is I tweeted out the other day, um, uh, there was a video that was on Sky News about people cheering, um, this, this amendment that was made. And, and my tweet just said that, you know, the year is 2050. Our grandchildren asked us, ask us, did they really cheer? What were they thinking? And we'll, we'll, we will tell them, you know, they thought it was choice and no one will be able to fathom it. And because I, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't think it's at all obvious that in thirty years' time we will understand our views on abortion today. I don't think it is at all obvious that no. the pro-choice argument will be. In and this and I mean, I've I've heard a few people say that with the march of, you know, scientific 
discovery actually yeah. it's it's very possible we'll find more and more evidence to right. support the idea that right. that actually this is a life yeah from much earlier scans and that, yeah and pe- start, people you know. from you know people 100 years down the line or 50 years whatever may even look back with horror that we would have ever have done so. it and yet at the moment we we would we were indignant we'd be indignant that someone would deny yeah the right to yeah. to do that um, yeah which you know, it's an ever, there's an ever shifting. You know, that's the moral tide of society, isn't it? Is ever shifting yeah. right. sands. Um, but they want to pr- portray it as the this this onward march of progress. Yeah. But, and Christians are holding people back, and and now they're just being swept aside, and we're and and I, yeah, I would just and I mean, I think the question I I mean, you said how do we talk to people about this? How do we retell the story? And and I'm not sure I've got an easy answer. I don't. I'm not sure quite how to begin. Um, but. You know, just in terms of, you know, when I've talked to people about things, I've just wanted to say, well, when, when does it start? And try and pin people. Life. When does life? When does begin? life start? You know, cause, yeah. because is it okay at this stage, that stage? Yeah. And obviously, everybody, even on different sides of this, you know, people on the pro-choice side, mm. even they're on a massive spectrum of. Yeah. Some people have been saying up to yeah. up to birth, basically. Yeah. Um. Or yeah. Or beyond like Peter Singer, Peter Singer, and yeah. you know, up to like age three or something, uh, and it's just trying to define well where it, what is life. And I remember, you know, someone said to me, well, you know, what would you do if you know you're in a, mm-hmm. you know, the, the clinic, um, and there's a load of embryos and there's a fire and there's a load of babies. Who'd you save? Right, right. And I kind of said, well, you know what? In the heat of the moment, which yeah. was not a pun, yeah. I was like, I yeah. don't know what I would do. I yeah. said I'd probably grab the babies because yeah, I sure. think I would know. Yeah, I know what to do with a baby. Yeah, I don't know anything about. Yeah. Embryos, whether I would even survive if I whipped them out of cold. So I don't know how it works. Yeah. I said, <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah. I said, I said, but that doesn't prove either way whether yeah. one is life or not. That just because someone else might make a different decision yeah. on that. Someone else might yeah. go embryos straight away, you know, right. and and that doesn't answer the question. It just shows that we all have different views on what yeah. life is. Yeah, and and you know, yeah. and he asked a similar question about you know, um, if. Uh, you know, your wife is pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. What would you mm-hmm. do? And something happened. And again, I said, you know, well, we'd have to see what the situation was. Um, you know, if it was a case of mother, child, right. right? You know, we'd have to weigh that up. But it would be a great source of sadness for us, right? To have to do something, yeah, to save, a, you know, maybe mum's yeah. life, yeah. Um, I said, but again, regardless of my choice on that, that still doesn't even. Right. That has no real bearing on the question of whether that is a life or is not. This a life because or not? whether yeah. you choose one way or the other makes yeah. no difference to whether that's life. And right. and again, it was kind of, oh, well, the law says. Well, it doesn't matter what the law says in one sense. Right. Because the law right. can be wrong. And the law shifts as the, it has the law done, once as said, it is set to do in Ireland. The law said, you know, slavery was yeah. cool. You know, yeah. homosexuality should be punished, yeah. you know, by, you know, prison yeah. time or whatnot. Yeah. And I don't think any of us would go, well, that was the law and therefore yeah, yeah. it was right then. Therefore, you that know. Was moral, yeah. 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 So. It's trying to define where it is, but of course that's a different set of arguments. To let's paint a big picture of mm. a gospel mm. picture of a you know a, yeah. a God and uh, and Jesus and and mm. you know God who loves us and creates us in the womb and yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah, I mean this really um, had a big bearing on us. Um, before I say that, Richard Blaney has just commented, In Ireland, people weren't convinced by abortion statistics or by brilliant images of the unborn being formed. They argued that abortion is already happening and they wanted unrestricted, uh, they want unrestricted access. The chance to break off from the control of the Catholic Church or others who tell them no was an added attraction. So yeah, that, that's safe, legal and rare 
um, was it was a big part of of, mm. of the argument that carried the day. But um, the, I mean, this, uh, yeah, the, these issues are very personal to Emma and I. Um, we um, we did a modified IVF um, process six times, um, and uh, the modification was um, we wanted to attempt to fertilize just one egg at a time. Uh, we don't want to try to fertilize 12 yeah. and then have to, you know, dis- discard uh, 11 that, you know, mm. um, and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then we were therefore left in a very, um, a very difficult moral position um, because there was um, one embryo that uh, did fertilize and instantly it was obvious um, that this child, and I will call them a child, um, was triploidy, which is a chromosomal disorder where uh, instead of just having one extra chromosome, you've got a whole 23 extra chromosomes. So, you know, like Down syndrome is one extra chromosome. This is 23 extra chromosomes. Yeah. This is like, um, and the kind of fetal abnormalities of triploidy babies are, are pretty intense. And, you know, no child has survived more than a day or two outside the womb and that sort of thing. And, and so we were told by our fertility clinic that, okay, the, you know, it's over. That's it. Um, it hasn't worked. And, and it actually took us a while to figure out that, um, the embryo had fertilized, um, but they were refusing to place the embryo back in into Emma, and so we ha- we had to really fight for um, for them to put the embryo back into Emma, mm-hmm. and with the full knowledge that if this child you know develops to full term, um, yeah. um, there could be all sorts of abnormalities and, and all that kind of stuff, and so you don't take that kind of decision lightly at all, um, but. The whole thing that was sort of motivating us was just we think okay here is a completely distinct entity that is not dad it is not mum it is some completely new re you know rejigging of our genetic material a distinct human life Mm -hmm. there he or she is and so we have a sick child so what do we now do with a sick child? We try to take care of that sick child. And we sounded like nuts to this fertility clinic. They mm. said, no one has ever done this. You know, literally, people were saying, no one has ever in the history of IVF, which has been going for, what, 30, 40 years, no one has ever transferred a triploidy baby back into a womb. And we were like, okay, well, call us nuts. Call us nuts. But for us, you know, the gospel is all about God loving the little guy so much he became the little guy (laughs) and he became the little guy in the womb and you know we believe in the virgin conception of jesus that the holy spirit overshadowed mary and that jesus was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary so jesus was jesus from conception it's part of the creed it's right there in the gospels so what we have on our hands with this child was we have a sick child and now how do we care for this sick child um, and and the the guy in charge of the fertility center just ha- didn't have any idea how to cope with us. He was he was just he just thought we were totally nuts. And um, and so we got into the issue of well, where where do you think life begins? And he said I, I couldn't possibly say. And I said well even if you can't say, um, you know if <laughs> you know I, I I literally gave him this this analogy. I I said 
if we were in this clinic and uh, somehow, you know, the, the clinic has to come down. We, ha we have to demolish the clinic. There are explosives. There are charges set all around the building. We have to bring it down in order to, you know, build a, a new wing. And let's say we're all outside in the car park and I've got the button to press to detonate, you know, to, to, to get rid of this building. And I send you into the building to scout out to see if there's anyone in there. And you come back after having scouted out the entire wing of the, of, of, of the hospital. And I say, is there any life in there? And you say, I don't think so. <laughs> Should I press the button? Mm -hmm. He just moved the conversation on. Yeah. You know, it, I, I don't think that's answerable. No. I, I don't know whether it's life is not an argument for therefore press the button and, and detonate. It amazes me that someone in that position could say, I don't think I can answer that. Like right. Me would want to say, is it not your job to answer right. that? Like, right. is that, would that not be an integral part of what you do right. to know what is life and what's not? Right. If you're having to, particularly if you're making a decision right. between this one's good to go, yeah. this is not, yeah. you better know right. what's life and what's not, you know, right. otherwise you might just be chucking a stuff, load of stuff away. A lot of it is chucking a lot of stuff away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, we, you know, we had the, the thing of you know a few weeks ago with when we had this ectopic pregnancy yeah and like we didn't which was a complete shock to us mm. and when they kind of said this is what's happening you know we didn't really know kind of what was going on mm. um but the first thing running through my head was when they were saying you know we've got to do this operation and remove the tube and whatnot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was really like well what's the ethical right you know yeah. i'm not sure i thought of it in that way not quite as yeah you know, what's yeah, the yeah. ethical implications but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. There was no information in the sense of like right. where, yeah. what is going to happen, where, you know, yeah. is, I was part of me was saying, well, is this child viable? Can it yeah. grow? And, and actually it was only later that, yeah. you know, it became clear that no, actually this child yeah. would never have been viable. And actually Becca was in danger as well. And oh, they yeah. said you came at the right time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but you know, I was genuinely only kind of, you know, what were we maybe like eight weeks in mm. thinking like, well, this is a life, you know, like, I don't, I don't think we should just enter into this lightly. Yeah. You know, when they're saying, and now we're going to do this operation, like later today, it's like, well, oh, hang on. Like, do we need to right. put the brakes on a second? Because I, yeah. cause I'm genuinely concerned that this is a life and right. are we killing a life here? Um, right. You know, and yeah. yeah, we didn't come away from it like, oh, well, never mind. Like, you know, I mean, so, so genuinely, you know, another at some point we'd like another baby, yeah. you know, but I, I find it, I find it hard to think how I could refer to that. You know, if we have another baby as like the third child, right? Because I kind of think, well, there was this other child, yeah. But right. it, but it's, and yeah. I hate calling it it, but we just don't know what it was. Yeah. You know, she, um, right. yeah, yeah. I think it, it would just feel strange to be like, and this yeah. is our third child, yeah. But then there was this child, you know, yeah. yeah. And that was at such an early stage, you know, so. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of stuff at play. Like yeah. it's a yeah, we've yeah. got we've got four little ones that we that we know of that we we will look forward to embracing in heaven. Um, but I th yeah, I, th I think we do need to resist the language of just fetus and and that kind of that kind of thing because you know, no one says when's your fetus due, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, um, and just bring bring this home to the gospel. Um, what really, what really struck me as we were going th through some of this stuff was just how very gospel it is to, uh, 
to love the despised and foolish things of this world. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And, you know, it's a real theology of the cross that says God loves the little guy. God became the little guy. God honors the despised and shameful and weak. Mm. And I think the more godly we are as a society, the more we will honor the the, the despised, the shameful, and the weak. Um, and if our society is not ready for that, then legislation is not going to change hearts. Well, we need to get out there and keep on preaching the cross, um, because only, only changes of hearts really are going to change society uh, at, at any deep level. Mm. Well, it's two oh seven. Wow, it's be a record for us. It is. No fairness, we probably spent a good few minutes just trying to get this microphone <laughs> working. So, miming. Well, <laughs> guys, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Do continue the conversation in comments if you like. Mm. Uh, do like uh, us on Facebook, and then you'll get more of these videos. Subscribe to us on on YouTube if you like, and uh, you can get this as an audio download by going to uh, any podcast uh, spitteroutera. And uh, you can search for the Speak Life podcast and get this. Uh, it comes out on Friday. Should come out Friday. Yeah. Great. Brilliant. And uh, and do, if you uh, want to uh, ask more thorny questions, uh, we've just come to the end of a series of, of thorny questions on suffering. We'd love to address your big issues that you've got about life, the universe, and everything in five minutes. Um, send them our way and we'll have a go. Yeah. Yeah. Always good to scratch where people are itching. <laughs> good. To use the phrase. Good. Exactly. Well, that's all we got time for for today. But uh, thanks, everyone, guys, and uh, see you again. Take care. Bye bye. bye.